Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, September 13th. With one week away from the federal election, we take a look at the many political polls coming our way, focusing on the major parties to the likability of the leaders. We dig into the science and accuracy of the polls with a professor of political science. Next is our weekly feature, Motivational Monday. This week, we speak with Dr. Tracy Brower, a sociologist, author, and expert on work-life balance. Dr. Brower shares some tips on how to build a thriving community, both in your personal life and in the community at large, something she's been promoting as a key partner with Calgary's 2021 United Way campaign. How long can we expect a COVID-19 vaccine to protect us for? We catch up with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician, with details on new research focusing on the lifespan of the jab and when we might need that booster. And finally, issues facing Indigenous Canadians are not being properly represented on the campaign trail. That's according to the Native Women's Association of Canada. We speak with the organization's CEO, Lynn Grew. Here we go, just seven sleeps away until election night. Yes, circle the calendar next Monday, September 20th. And we're always looking at what the latest polling data shows. But just how reliable is that data? And does it affect the real-world results? Is, is it a reflection of that? Joining us to tackle these questions is Chris Cochran, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Toronto. Good morning to you, Chris. Hey, good morning. Well, do we have polls on the pollsters, Chris? I guess the big question is, (laughs) how often do these professionals get it right? They usually get it right in terms of what they're trying to estimate, which is how voters are going to vote on Election Day. And their records are public, and people can go on and take a look to compare the different pollsters against election results. The problem, though, is that in really close elections, the big question everyone wants to know is who's going to win the election. Mm -hmm. And polls aren't perfectly designed to actually tell us the answer to that question. So it's pretty accurate then to take a small sampling and kind of magnify it to to represent the entire population. They usually do get it pretty bang on. Yeah, so it it, it depends. If it's a random sample, a random sample of about 1,200 people will be accurate plus or minus two and a half percentage points or so. 95% of the time. And they always report those estimates of uncertainty when they report their polls. The challenge, of course, is that it's been increasingly difficult for pollsters to get completely random samples. They use different methods. Some are online. Some use automatic uh, voice. So it's uh, just a computer's voice when the the phone answers. Others use phones. And those get different people. Uh, And so if you're not getting a random sample, then there has to be a little bit of creativity on the part of the pollsters to get their estimates right. And that takes us a little bit away from the standard science of statistics into the sort of emerging science of polling and how to make good estimates with not completely random samples. I'm wondering, because this is a a different campaign, just a couple of years from previous, are there any unusual aspects to the polling uh, data or question line in this campaign? Because it's uh, it's a different and, of course, a middle of the uh, pen in the middle of the pandemic itself. Yeah, if the pollsters get it right this time, I think that would be obviously great for them. It is, as you mentioned, different than any election we've had, certainly in in recent memory and and even further than that. You have a pandemic election. There's some discussions of it being potentially a bit difficult for people to vote in the election. And so what the pollsters are estimating is the mood of the public. What they don't, for the most part, try to estimate is the mood of the public that's guaranteed to vote. We don't have a track record of so-called likely voter models in Canada. So if one of the party's supporters are much more motivated than another one, 
then even if the pollsters were accurate in their overall assessment of the population, if the one party gets its supporters to get out and vote and another party doesn't, then you could see a different result, obviously, on Election Day. Chris, do the polls really get people to change their vote, um, you know, based on what they're seeing? Does it does it cause people to say, oh, well, maybe I should be voting this way? Or, or does it push people to vote strategically? Yeah, so it could do those things. And there's been some uh, research on that, which has found mixed results. So certainly if somebody, for instance, let's say they didn't want the Conservatives to win, or they didn't want the Liberals to win, and they might ask themselves, which party is most likely to be able to defeat the party I really don't want to win? The problem is that we don't really have good local-level polls in Canada. We just don't have the population to support them. So oftentimes when people make those decisions, they look at the national polls, and if they see, you know, for instance, that the Conservatives are the closest to beating the Liberals and they vote Conservative or, or vice versa, the problem is that whatever's happening at the national level might not be the same thing happening at the local level. So people using polls in that way are as likely to make a mistake as they are to get it right. And because of that, it seems to balance out in the end and, and not have much of an effect. And I'm wondering, you know, Chris, this might be a little too technical, not not for you, but I mean, I'm not sure if you have this data in front of you. Um, as far as the accuracy of any uh, poll on the federal level, um, weeks out, like, you know, maybe last week or the week before, versus the accuracy a few days before, say, a poll that's done on a Friday or Saturday ahead of a Monday election. Do we have any data on that? Yeah, so the, there's really good data on all of the polling projections uh, going into the elections. And obviously one of the challenges is, I mean, the great thing about elections for polling is that we actually have pollsters estimating something where we're going to get the real result. And there's always the question about whether, for example, polls a week away from the end of an election were, say, inaccurate. They actually got it wrong and then got it right in the end versus polls being a snapshot of public mood at a particular point in time. So the normal the normal polls that we would use to assess the accuracy of pollsters in predicting the election would be their last poll, the one closest to the to the result of the election. Very interesting. And the best part is we'll know you know, how everybody's done in a week from now. So uh, time will tell. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Chris. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's Chris Cochran, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Toronto. And I'd like to open up the text line right now, 403-974-8255. Do you listen to these several polls? We have them here mm-hmm. on 770 CHQ, but they're they're everywhere. They're online. Every news outlet that you follow does it make a difference to you? Uh, does it maybe change your vote if you're thinking, okay, the horse that I'm, you know, going for is not in the lead. Uh, you know, I'm going to get my family and friends or, you know, they don't need my vote. I'm looking at these polls. How much do these polls influence you as you're walking up to that ballot box? It's interesting because, you know, we get polling on everything and we have Ipsos that does exclusive polling yes. for us here at 770 and for Global News. And uh, they are pretty accurate for the most part. Carmen texted in to say, I hope the polls are right this time. Well, we've got some uh, polling info from Ipsos, the latest numbers that we have, and this is that conservatives are up slightly at 35%, mm. building momentum, and a slight national lead over the liberals who sit at 32%. The NDP surge has pretty much eased off. They sit at about 21%. So, I mean, here in Alberta, where for the most part, Let's face it, everybody votes conservative. We see it in the numbers, and obviously yeah. that's who gets elected. So, you know, the proof is in the pudding on that one. But, you know, does that can, can that change your, your vote in any way? Right now, conservatives sitting ahead nationally, you know, would a poll get you to change away from the con- typical conservative vote that you would normally cast? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, it's, 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 
to me, it's interesting. Now, can you base your whole, you know, uh, compass of voting on it? I don't know. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I, I felt a little bit of this, but it's ingrained within me that I have to vote every single election. I've never missed one. I me swear. too. I am with you on that. But I do did feel that tinge of. Is my vote going to make a difference? Mm. And it was part, you know, if I had too much on the go for me with, with, a, with a young family, we have a lot of free time. So it was great to bring the kids <laughs> and show them the process. So it was an activity. Yeah. But I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to know that, at, you know, seven or eight o'clock at night, when I'm, there's a magic time. All the newsies know exactly what hour that is that technically our election will be determined. Um, so I, I get that. But I think you have to, you, you, you have to get through that. That whole idea that, you, you know, your ideas don't count. And, you know, if you are not a conservative, do you bother to vote in a place like Alberta? Well, because you feel like your vote really David isn't going Goliath. to make a difference. Is that a thing for you? You know, you at home are. How are you feeling about polling and how are you feeling about this election and casting your ballot? If you're a non-conservative or you've lost faith in the conservatives and you're mm-hmm. thinking maybe a different one this time around, do you even bother? I think you should. I think yeah. we should all vote, no matter you know what our heart and our soul and our mind tells us to. You should cast that ballot. But curious what everybody else is thinking. 403-974-8255. At 609, the United Way of Calgary and area has kicked off its fall campaign. And this year's theme is United, We Make the Biggest Difference. In about 10 minutes, we're going to talk more about the United Way campaign itself. But first, for Motivational Monday, we're joined this morning by T- Dr. Tracy Brower, sociologist, author, and expert on happiness and work life fulfillment who's helping out the united way by teaching us about the importance of resilience and happiness good morning to you dr brower thanks for joining us good morning thanks for having me on okay let's talk about your message then on behalf of the united way why did they bring you dr tracy brower in to try to help spread the message about united making the big difference now as we come back together Well, I think United is such an important theme related to happiness. We know statistically and based on tons of research that when we're more connected, when we feel part of a community, when we're contributing our talents to a community, we're just happier. And, you know, happiness can ebb and flow. It doesn't have to be, you know, um, every single moment of every single day. But in general, we're happier and more resilient when we're more connected. And, you know, you, you think about being connected, and it, it, I think sometimes it, for some people, comes naturally, but for others, they have to work on it. So, so let's talk about that aspect for a minute as far as the, the effort that it takes to, to find that connectivity and, and that, uh, you know, happiness. Mm-hmm. Boy, you used exactly the right word that I've been using as well. It does take more effort um, nowadays, especially as we're all living through the pandemic. And I think the important thing, too, is to kind of go with what your preferences are. This isn't about everybody being an extrovert. We're all on a continuum between introversion and extroversion. But fundamentally, a human need is to be connected to some extent. And so it is about, you know, reaching out to people virtually or in person. It is about getting involved. It is about volunteering. It is about staying in touch with neighbors and friends and family and making our own contributions and caring for others. I think, you know, that you touched on, and I think this is probably, I would guess, your second tip that we, you know, we always ask our guests to come up with three tips that will, you know, help set our listeners up for a great day, a great week and beyond. And, you know, when you talk about others, I think at the beginning of this pandemic, we all kind of had that idea that we were in this together and there was more of a sense of community. And that quickly, as we moved through a year and a half of of the pandemic, it sort of really dissipated, didn't it? And I, I think it's important that we think about that now, coming back together to be united, to get 
out of this mess. Mm-hmm. Boy, that is so true. And it's such cognitive dissonance. You know, it's like we want to be connected, but we feel so separate. You know, we feel differences of opinion that tend to separate us as well. And so when we can kind of remember that we're all going through it together, when we can remember some of our common goals toward community, that's huge. So yeah, that first point is all about getting involved, being united, bonding as part of the community. And I think another is to just give and be generous and kind of pay attention to opportunities to contribute toward others. A really big part of happiness is um, looking toward others, expanding our perspective beyond just ourselves. And generosity and happiness are significantly correlated. And you know, uh, Dr. Brower, when you say give back to your community, it's interesting to me because that can look vastly different depending on your outlook, your walk of life, and, and your expertise. Not everybody has to donate their time or their energy in the same way, do they? Yes, exactly. Time, treasure, talent, all the different kinds of ways that we donate. And I think it's most meaningful when you donate what makes sense to you. You know, like I love to read, so maybe I go read to people in my community, elders or youth, or, you know, I I really appreciate um, nature. And so I buy um, plancies and give those to people that I care about. Um, anything that kind of turns you on is the kind of thing that you want to focus on in terms of giving back to the community. And we can give back in so many different ways. And there's a lot of science, isn't there, Dr. Brower, behind that in terms of, you know, the opportunities and giving help to other people that makes us feel good. I mean, that's that simple pay it forward at the lineup at Timmy's, for example, buying a coffee for someone behind you can really change your day as well as theirs. Yes, absolutely. And it's really interesting. There's some wonderful research about how some of those little things can make a big difference. That interaction with the person at Timmy's or the interaction with someone on your way in to work in the morning. When we give more generously, we tend to have more meaning and satisfaction with life. We even have more satisfaction with our coworkers and our careers. And um, we tend to have more close friends as well, which tend to provide for support networks. So generosity is significantly correlated with happiness. It's such a great point. As a sociologist and, you know, you're focusing on happiness and work uh, life fulfillment, it's got to be an interesting dynamic, uh, Dr. Bauer, in that we've had so much of these interactions online. Now we're getting back to the quote unquote real world. Are you finding that that's a bit of an adjustment for some people? And what would you suggest for people to to feel comfortable uh, seeing people face to face? Yeah, it's so interesting. It's a huge adjustment. We've tended to kind of buckle down and um, kind of retrench, and it's hard to cross that threshold, both literally and figuratively, back out into the world. And so I think if we take small steps, you know, like a little bit at a time in terms of getting back out into the world, if we um, really look to others and um, talk with them about their experiences and demonstrate empathy, that's also a real good idea. And if we do things together with people that we are already close to, that can also kind of create some of those bonds and help us with that transition, that that new transformation that we need to make again toward the outside world. You know, it's been, uh, Dr. Brower, a pretty tough 
almost two years now and and being on your own getting through it is a tough way to go so most definitely becoming united whether it's with just you know a neighbor or your neighborhood or your entire community it's got to make people feel better and i love that the united way is really working towards that and and maybe you know that's your volunteering time right is is doing something with the united way and and sort of helping that campaign help you at the same time there are lots of ways to do it aren't there Yes, absolutely. And that, you know, idea that united we can make the biggest difference. We all crave to have impact. We have an instinct to matter. And so that's a big part of happiness as well, is making those contributions and um, doing things that really, really are aligned with kind of our purpose or, you know, not even purpose in a really big, overwhelming sense, but just what is it that we do well that we can contribute? So I love what you're saying. Dr. Brower, thank you so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. That is Dr. Tracy Brower, sociologist, author, and expert on happiness and work-life fulfillment. 619 now, and yes, September is United Way month, and the Calgary Area United Way campaign is underway. As you heard from Dr. Brower, the theme is United, We Make the Biggest Difference. And to break down the details of the campaign itself, we're joined this morning by Yvette Biggs, who is VP of Marketing and Communications with the United Way of Calgary and Area. Good morning, Yvette. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, we just talked to Dr. Brower and got some great insight as to, you know, the the emotion behind this campaign and and the United Together theme of it. But tell us about Mm -hmm. it and why it's so important for the United Way that we all get involved here. Well, I think so. We know that um, many people in Calgary and the surrounding area are continuing to continuing to experience the long term impacts of the pandemic. You know, including increased poverty from losing jobs, trying to get back into the work market, and worsening mental health due to stress and anxiety. We know that over 189,000 people were currently living in poverty before pandemic. And during pandemic, we added 77,000 more um, with a 40% increase of people under the poverty line. We also know that um, our partners at 2-in-1 have increased um, exponentially their calls for basic needs and also calls for mental health issues. So, you know, it's really going to take all of us to stand united, to continue to to try and build back resilient communities that we know and love and where everyone can thrive. We know that the road to recovery is going to be long and we are not going to be able to do it alone. But the other thing that we do know is that Calgarians um, have an unwavering community spirit. We are caring people, um, people that rise to the challenge to help family, friends, and neighbors who need it the most. And because that um, changing, because of the changing face of, of poverty where, you know, it's in our communities, we are just looking for Calgarians to step up like they always do. And they're so committed to, to making sure that no one is left behind. So, you know, uh, Yvette, it still is, we're still uh, amidst the pandemic, we're getting back mm-hmm. to normalcy, but there's still some restrictions in place and people might have some trepidation. So what have you set up to uh, allow Calgarians the chance to continue to give? 
Well, they can go onto our website, um, calgaryunitedway.org, and we have, you know, we still have during campaign, and we were used to kind of walking down together during Stevens Avenue every year, um, 2,000 Calgarians coming together, and unfortunately, we haven't been able to do that for the past mm-hmm. for the past couple of years, and and it's been it's been hard. But we have many great activities set up during our campaign all the way into December. We have two great free upcoming events, and it's a virtual, our first event is a virtual behind the scenes look at the distress center. So that's going to be happening on September 16th at noon, where people will be able to, where the distress center is going to be discussing the new challenges within the pandemic and the importance of accessible supports and services. We've also partnered with Play City to host a, a virtual hide-and-seek um, event next weekend, and that helps Calgarians get kind of reunited with their city. It's almost like a, a scavenger hunt that you can cool. um, safely go around the city, and all that's on our website. Perfect. And I know United Way also partnering with the Calgary company Plantsy to make the world a better and greener place. Yeah. So you can yeah. get, actually get something in your hands. $10 from every United Way Plantsy that's sold. I got a rubber tree plant named Lilo. Oh, awesome. I love it. And it'll awesome. be all that money invested right here in our community. And it, that one is Plantsy.com. But also, as you said, Yvette, CalgaryUnitedWay.org. Thank you for your time. Much success with the campaign and hopefully Calgarians step up, like you said. Thanks Appreciate so it. much. Thank you very much. Yvette Biggs is VP of Marketing and Communications with the United Way of Calgary and Area. 7.20 on your Monday morning. Sue and Andy here with you. How long can we expect our COVID-19 vaccines to be effective for? And when is it recommended we get a booster shot? With some details on the latest research, we're joined this morning by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning, Dr. J. Good morning. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Important question. We're hearing about booster shots now in terms of people who might have, you know, different vaccinations, two different types. But how long are we actually protected for? Do we know? Yeah, so it's interesting. I just saw a study come through that was probably the most precise thing I've I've read for quite some time on this. And it looks like it's six months is you have good wow. immunity for about six months, and then it starts to wane. Now, it doesn't wane immediately and drop off to zero, but six months seems to be the magic mark. Um, and that's coming through in countries who started early and were very aggressive with their vaccination programs. Uh, uh, countries like uh, Israel, Qatar, were very aggressive, got numbers in the you know 80% plus population and early on. So now we are mining their data because... A lot of their population now is in that range of their well past the six months from their second shot. I'm wondering, Dr. J, does it depend? I mean, here in Canada, we've had between AstraZeneca, Pfizer, yeah. Moderna, different types yeah. of vaccinations. Does it matter which one with, the, with that data in the six months uh, window? So, so the study I looked at, unfortunately, was just looking at the mRNA vaccines and not mixed vaccines. But I think, you know, we tried not to generalize, but if we did generalize, uh, that six months is probably going to hold for all. For all. Um, if there's one silver lining is that it appears that the countries where the second shot, like the shots were placed very closely together, mm-hmm. the, the immunization uh, length of time seems to wane. That six months is a lot more uh, particular, whereas, whether as in Canada, we spread it out a bit, we were forced to spread it out. Uh, that actually was a good strategy in retrospect. So the immune, uh, the sorry, the uh, immunity rate might actually last a little bit longer than that six month, uh, just because we had to spread it out, and that time in between seemed to help us, not hurt us. 
So a little silver lining in a potentially dark cloud here. So as a physician, Dr. J, would you recommend, though, then we go ahead and get this third, this booster shot, if we so desire, whether we're planning to travel next week or not? Yeah, so this is difficult. So, I mean, it's come up in our world because of that, because of travel or because of, you know, if you're immunocompromised. So the highest risk patients absolutely should be boosted uh, because they, in theory, were the ones who got it first. And they will be hitting that six-month mark soon, and they need it the most, and absolutely. If it's just for travel reasons, this is a harder thing, because this is more of a a political statement, more than a medical statement, per se. So I think we all will have to get boosted um, at some point, and it sounds like that point is going to be a lot sooner than we hoped or expected. Um, I guess if, if, if that fulfills a criteria so that we can get a, a vaccine passport and travel, yeah. fantastic. Um, but I think um, it'll be very interesting to see what the booster is going to be, whether the companies will actually vary the vaccine. Now that we know, now that the, all the variants keep marching forward, yeah. uh, I think the ultimate booster is going to be a different vaccine. It's okay. going to be manipulated and it will be provide better protection against some of the variants that are around at the time of the of the booster or that that third shot thank you so much for your time this morning dr j we appreciate it okay you betcha dr ted jablonski our on-call family physician missing and murdered indigenous women and issues important to first nations voters are not receiving the attention they deserve during the election to talk about these issues and more we're joined by lynn grew ceo of the native women's association of canada good morning to you lynn Good morning, and thank you for calling us in today. Uh, we appreciate your time. Uh, can you give us shed some light on this? What issues were you hoping to have been addressed in the three debates that we've had so far? Well, we were hoping to see more on the rights of Indigenous women specifically and in the MMIWG. So we did have a government that had an inquiry. So there was a two-year, a little bit more than two years of an inquiry. 231 calls for justice were handed down with a conclusion in there of a genocide. And we just didn't see in the debate uh, enough time to get into the details of what that means. What does it mean when the Conservative Party says, well, we're going to do a new a new action plan with no details whatsoever. So we're hoping to see um, something a little bit more detailed, more concrete coming up. Now, so Lynn, do any, right now, do any of the political parties appeal to Indigenous voters? Because we certainly have not heard much from them in the debates or otherwise in regards to Indigenous issues. So is there one that might appeal more than others? Well, that's a very good question. So you may uh, not be aware or you may be aware that we have about 77 uh, Indigenous candidates are running for different parties. So some are in the NDP, some are in the Conservative, and some are in the Liberals. So we, we do have candidates out there. Is there one appealing more or not? Very good question. What we've done is we've actually done an analysis of the platforms and we've we've pulled out of there 11 priorities and 11 uh, issues that we've done an analysis, very detailed analysis of. And the conclusions of that analysis are coming out on our website today and tomorrow. So I can just give you a little heads up that the NDP on the issues only, analysis of the issues, which includes MMIWG, self-determination, reconciliation, NDP and the Green Party actually come out with an A. So we're actually scoring them. Um, and then the Liberals come out with a B and the Conservatives come out with a D. Now, so we, we do see, we are seeing that some parties are definitely, uh, you know, more comprehensively dealing with the issues than others. 
These are not new issues, Lynn, uh, but I'm wondering, I'm a little shocked. I'm wondering what your stance is on this and if you found any nuggets from any of the major parties on uh, the residential school victims, the horrific findings that are literally just a few months old. So there's not a lot on that either? No, there's not a lot on that. I mean, and then, you know, you, we have the media talking about the flag. You know, well, there's a lot more than the flag. The flag, whether it stays up or it comes down, mm-hmm. there's a lot more than that. There's mm-hmm. criminal charges here that haven't, you know, the whole issue of the criminal aspect of this is not even being addressed. So we really need to see a bit more on that um, because it's it's a bit disappointing that the whole dialogue is, is around that, whether we put the flag up or put it down. We strongly feel that, you know, the flag needs to stay down until uh, the work is done in finding the remains of, the, of, of all the children. Lynn, once we do have a new government in place, whatever party that might be, what would you like to see the next government focus on? Right. Well, we definitely, you know, whatever government that we may be, we have to, you know, we have to work with that government. We need concrete action on the 231 calls for justice. We need, Indigenous women need to be brought to decision-making tables. We have been politically marginalized, and that is in the inquiry report for a very long time. That has to end, especially if a government is claiming to be a feminist government. We need to see real action on reconciliation, including the issue of the residential schools and criminal charges that has to be dealt with and we need to see more indigenous leaders at the tables on the issues of environment climate change and certainly progress on clean drinking water uh and housing which are you know at critical critical uh Mm -hmm. issues Lynn, it's all about getting that information out there and earlier in the conversation you mentioned a website that more info will be released on can you give that to us one more time yeah, so www.nwac.ca. Um, there's a comprehensive analysis going up. It's been done, uh, NWAC, we've done our own, and we've had uh, Nano's Research do uh, a platform analysis on Indigenous women's issues. So it's very comprehensive, and I encourage people to, uh, to go and take a look at that because something else that's very interesting in this whole debate is that Canadians, the surveys are saying that Canadians are also, uh, may vote on principle in terms of how how the governments might deal with these human rights issues with Indigenous people. So we say the leaders need to really pay attention to this because it's an Indigenous vote, also the non-Indigenous vote. Mm -hmm. And we need to be paying attention as to who we're voting for. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Lynn. Appreciate it very much. Thank you for the call. Thank you. Lynn Grew is the CEO of the Native Women's Association of Canada. Again, you can go online, find that information at nwac.ca. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.